so I, 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 I think that um, well, I'm I'm having a a big problem with looking for Parmac in all the wrong places. I I can I, see I, why I, there I, would be problems with this episode because it's you know, did this happen? I mean, listen, I what, did I dream this? No, because I I, I haven't been sleeping too. well, so it's possible. I mean, it's not that bad, but it's not that good. No, um, I did wharf and uh, 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 Dax getting together is something that I, you know, it's fine. It's fine. I, I, I said a few weeks ago, like they actually make sense as a couple. They have things in common that you know they work, and I think this episode, you know, makes it, you know. I, I I like their chemistry in this episode, and I'm glad they finally get together again. It makes more sense than with Troy or anything, but um, it was nice to see Grilka again. Um, I wish she had had more to do in this episode. Uh, yeah, I I mean, my fi- well, okay. So there's two problems I have with this episode. Number one is that I don't really like. I I I, I, I okay. I'm I'm gonna be. I hate. Okay. I hate the Karen O'Brien subplot. Oh well, I. It's it is probably one of the stupidest things that Star Trek the entire franchise has ever done. I hate it. Okay. Uh number 2 is and maybe this is just my mood recently and this is totally my problem and not the listener's problem and not the show's problem, but um having a lot of trouble caring about straight people. That's fair. That's I definitely just fair. don't care. And it's like Ronald D. Moore is a straight person and he's just writing episodes about straight people and their straight problems. I, you know, th- and I'm just like, really? Again? There is a degree to which a lot of this episode, like, we'll, we'll talk about the O'Brien's thing in a minute, but the, um, I mean, I'm trying to be like, I'm not, I'm trying to be a little funny, but I'm also trying to be serious here no, yeah, because yeah. I do think that on the whole, I don't think that straight people realize exactly how oppressive it is to be a gay person living in a straight world. And times like this where the episode is just bad and predicated on the idea that there's wacky hijinks between men and women, it's just like, I don't give yeah, a shit. Yeah, to me... It, and I think that I'm gonna straight be, people need to realize that sometimes. I initially really liked where the O'Brien thing was going is that these are three people who are in an extremely unusual situation and yet have managed to form an extremely non-traditional but extraordinarily intimate family. And I liked that. I liked that you, you know, again, this is a situation which could be weird, but the three of them have figured out a way of, you know, again, Kira's, you know, doesn't really, you know, is able to be a part of this family. And I think it would, I think it's, well, I don't necessarily have a problem with Miles and Kira as a result of the fact that they are living together, she's carrying his child, they have an extraordinary closeness. That it turns into feelings of love between the two is not shocking to me. That they make this Well, I think well, it's a little different than that. I mean, I I, well, I don't think it's love. I think that the show is intimating that they want to fuck and uh, no, like I, I don't. This is my problem with it. Is like it's it's this very very hoary cliched idea that men and women cannot be yeah. cannot be friends, cannot have an intimate relationship without it have it turning sexual. And 
Maybe that's true. I don't know. Uh, I'm not straight. So straight people like leave a comment on this <laughs> episode and let me know if this is actually not possible uh, for, for men and women to have an intimate relationship that doesn't evolve into and penis I, and vagina sex. And I guess the fact but, that what, what bothers me is not that it evolves into a sexual it, – it, 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 not that it has the possibility of, a, of evolving into a sexual relationship, but that that's a, that's a taboo that they can't cross. I guess is what bothers me. Like again, I can see this being an example of it's a, a non traditional polyamorous family. Well, I mean, you know, we're talking recognize- and that's the thing. I recognize this is nineteen ninety seven. This is a network television show. You know, I know all it's not the- a network television show, but don't forget this was syndicated. Oh, so. right. Anyway, it's a you know, it's a syndicated television. Either way, I know this is a very different time and circumstances. You know, I'm living in Portland in twenty sixteen where you know, more op- at least, especially in the gay community, open relationships are fairly common. Well, that's why I bring up the whole straight versus gay yeah. thing. Yeah, I and mean, it's a very important subtext to the episode. Yeah, yeah, I- and I, I guess what I'm saying is, I would, you know, and we we talk a little bit about the Brian Fuller version of the thing. You know, maybe it would be interesting to have a show that would be able to go there and say, you know, again, here are three people who have an unusual relationship. Let's explore this. You know, and something which you know. I, I mean, because the end of this episode says that, you know, if O'Brien and Kira were to consummate that, rather than that being, you know, more love in this family, that would be a breach of so many things. And I guess that's what weirds me out and bothers me a little about it. No, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I think that in general, the I mean, we've talked a little bit about this in the past, but 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 generally speaking, the, the, the sexual politics of Star Trek are very conservative. Yeah. Uh, it is coming from a very conservative place and not not politically conservative. I'm just talking about. And the, the you know the actual meaning of the word conservative, which is tradition and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So you know it, it, it's not uh, surprising to me that the show is coming down on the side of uh, a traditional understanding of a, a, a straight you know a straight yeah. marriage, which is all about monogamy and all about cheating being the worst thing that can happen to a couple and uh, having some sort of outside. Um, you know, even even an emotional flirtation is or an emotional affair, quote unquote, is is a problem and. I, I don't. I, I'm disappointed when Star Trek does stuff like this yeah. because it's not really necessary, and I don't know what we're supposed to get out of this storyline. It, especially because I mean, well, it's interesting because because I'm thinking of where the Daxenworth storyline ends. You know, where where she has that when she's talking to him and he's saying, you know, she says says finally, look, you're. You were raised by humans, you know, you were Federation officer, you know, you're not a traditional Klingon. Like, that's the point where she finally says, like, have you paid attention to any of the events that have happened to you over the past two series? Like, you're, you know, you're not a traditional Klingon. And so, like, every time Worf tries to be super traditional, you know, every time he tries to be a born again Klingon, he realizes the flaws of that. And finally, you know, this is her saying, like, look. You know, yes, a traditional Klingon would not pursue a trail, would not, um, you know, would would use, you know, sex as a, you know, for marriage right then and there. And that's not not who you are. You know, you're going to be involved in something that's different. I I don't really agree with that because I think, I mean, I kind of agree with that and I kind of disagree with it because I think that the the understanding that that Worf has about Klingon sexuality, I think, is really predicated on the idea of him as a born-again Klingon. Yeah. I I mean, Grolka and Worf, Grolka and and Quark hooked up and had sex, and they're not getting married. No, I, I think that the understanding that Worf has of Klingon sexuality about you have sex with someone and then you have to get married is 
I don't think a lot of Klingons are believing no. that anymore. I, I think that that is the 50s, quote-unquote, version of no, Klingon it's, sexuality. No, it's true. If you're... And, and so, yeah, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I, I mean, yeah, you can imagine him. I mean, that it is true that we... we we have to think what was available to him about Klingons when he was a kid, you know, stuff that was thirty printed 30, 40 years ago and available. So maybe even 40 or 50 years old. So, yeah, you know, it is outdated stuff that he imprinted on. Yeah. And I don't you know, you don't get the sense that that Worf really met another Klingon, you know, until he was an adult, I think. So there is that as well. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I do want to talk about Dax and Worf. I think it's probably the the strongest plot in this episode. Well, it's the most but, earned plot because again, uh, that's been I, I I saw that a few episodes ago. Like you know, Dax really really is invested in Klingon culture and understands it yeah, as well. Yeah, you know, wh- you know, the two of them do have always had very good chemistry. And you know, I don't know if that was intended from you know the beginning, you know, when they first, or if it just was noticed that you know the two worked very well together. And you know. Oh, this actually makes sense, but... Yeah, I just, you know, I don't... This episode always rubs me the wrong way because I don't know what the point of it is. And I, yeah. I you know, I, I Grilka coming back is fine. I like the character a lot. I, I like Quark and her together. Although, I mean, you know, spoiler alert, it doesn't ever really go anywhere. No, but, you know, you, you, you get the sense that also... You know, they're in a Cyrano, the Bergerac plot, obviously, and you get the sense that for both of them, this is going to be a vacation in a lot of ways. Like, you know, she, she, you know, obviously Quark and Grilka are people who have, no matter what, they have a connection together. They are very happy to see each other when she visits at first, and, you know, if they're... If every so often, you know, she's going to come to the station and they're going to have a week or so that's going to land Quark in the hospital, you know, if that's the extent of where their relationship goes and they both, you know, in House of Quark, it's very clear that they want their own lives. But that's still fine and that's still nice in a I way. Guess, I guess part of my problem with this episode, I mean, I agree with all that, but but part of my problem with, with looking for Parmac in all the wrong places is that it's... Why does Groka come back? Like, there's no justification well, for her mentions, really coming. Yeah, that's very yeah, exactly. Though. It's not even the plot of the episode. It seems to be it's it's mentioned in the one scene and I don't, the device. Yeah. I don't think that the House of Quark needed a follow up. I think that that ended very nicely. You know, at the end of that episode, if I'm remembering it correctly, you know, Quark obviously was enamored of, of Groka, and Groka was not mm-hmm. enamored of Quark, and she felt warmly towards him, and she felt sort of friendly-ish towards him and perhaps even a little bit romantic but, but no at the it end wasn't of the day, anything that that was going to happen and so this follow-up two seasons later uh it feels a little weird because there's no real justification for Groka coming back i mean wharf is there and of course we're going to get some interesting stuff there but i don't i don't know what the point of it is and it doesn't really tell us anything about quark it seems this is an episode of 3b plots yeah, it is. I because agree with the, that. Because it would be funny to – it would be a fine B-plot to have, you know, Quark in this. And, you know, he's not the main part, but, you know, she's on the station and, you know, she he, – he's able to help her out. And, you know, 
he is at home and in a less stressful situation. So, of course, you know, the first thing he's going to do is, you know, well, how can I get her naked? You know, well, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's an episode of three B plots, but it, it's also an episode that's constructed like an episode of three's company. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't like it when Deep Space Nine is written like a sitcom. Yeah. And I think that's my problem with it, too, is that. You know, Ronald D. Moore wrote this episode. I, I, you know, he's not great at writing sitcom plots, and it just feels, I, you know, it doesn't feel earned. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel lived in. And and so much. The of it, show is a lot better than this. And I'm coming down yeah. hard on this episode, but I think it deserves it because, frankly, again, it doesn't go anywhere. It's not justified in any way. The episode is predicated on, you know, hoary old ideas about matrimony and monogamy that, that frankly, are, are kind of ridiculous. And also, the fact of the matter is, the episode is based on the kind of sitcom plotting that went out of fashion, you know, 20 years before this episode was aired. And that, frankly, DS9 has made some strides to avoid, you know, again, with the way that you know, we are learning that DS9 is maybe not quite as serialized as later shows were, but we can certainly see it as making many steps in that direction, you know? And so to, so it does feel, you know, this is the kind of thing which in season one w- would have been excusable as a season one mistake, or maybe as a season seven, you know, everyone's tired, but this is season five and everything surrounding it is extraordinarily strong. I liked the ship much more than you did, um... But and I know I like the next episode a lot, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But this episode in particular, being sandwiched between the ship and Nor to the Battle to the Strong, is particularly like what the fuck? Yeah, I can see them wanting to give us a light comedy episode in you know going from one episode and you know having a major discussion about. You know, in our commands, we are going to have to somehow people are going to die and we're going to have to live with the consequences of our choices, even if they're the right choices, you know, and then going from there to the trauma of what happens, you know, to the medical people in a battle. Sure, you want to have something comic in between that, but it's shitty comedy. Yeah, it's not funny, really. I mean, there are parts of it that I like. I mean, I think that that I think I, my favorite part of the episode uh, is probably um, Quark battling the Klingon, and you know, it's obvious stuff. It's stuff that Star Trek has done yeah. before. But you know, I like it because I think you know that's the part of the episode that works for me because thematically and and and, and on a character level, it makes sense because yeah. Worf is helping Quark. He doesn't really understand why he's helping Quark, but of course, he's helping Quark because Dax asked him to help. Quark and, well, and Worf has feelings for Dax and didn't he, realize it yet. Well, what so. he's also doing, I mean, again, this is a Cyrano plot, so it's, you know, obviously, you know, Worf is writing, you know, letters to her, yeah. you know, instructing through, so he's courting Grilka through that, and obviously, you know, science fiction is able to do, you know, take it even a step further to which he can control him in the duel, but, um, you know, yeah, he's doing this for all, uh, as this ti- as the episode title implies, he's doing it for all the wrong reasons, and, you know, I like that, I like Dax's reaction, Dax is very much in the reaction of somebody who is 500 years old, but still fascinated by gossip. I love that, yeah. when I-, I love that whenever something romantic is happening, Dax is right in the middle of it and wondering what's happening, you know, that that's a really nice note of her character, you know. She could be so um, 
uh, detached from people because of how long she's lived. But no, like it only serves to yeah. kind of cement her ties to that. And, you know, she's very interested in getting, you know, she likes getting into romances herself, you know, even though, you know, she she is, uh, I like that about her. She is a person who loves life so much that she's going to go through centuries of it. Um, yeah, sure. And, 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 you know, I like that she's patient in that because she's seen... This kind of thing, you know, she's not really jealous of Worf at all through it. She doesn't really seem to feel bad because she recognizes exactly what this is. And it's not really till the end of the episode when, you know, he's complaining that she's finally like, all right, fuck this. I'm bored now, you know, and that and she finally just explicitly makes an advance on him. Well, I think it's it it, it works because it, it's true to the character of Dax and it's also true to the character yeah. of Worf. I mean, Worf is kind of a lunkhead. You know? He's <laughs> not going to realize it. But you, and that's the thing like Worf thinks he knows what he wants. Worf wants a great Klingon lady, you know, but at the same time as, you know, but he does have an extremely, you know, he, he has the closest relationship with Kira with with Dax as he does to anybody. Yeah. She is somebody who she's one of the few people who actually does understand him. Well, and I think that's another reason why the Dax and Worf plot in this episode works and and the Kira and and uh, O'Brien plot does not work is we have seen some of the build up of the Dax yeah. and Worf um uh romance or whatever you want to call it at this point. Um that is it, it it feels earned it feels like a payoff that we've been waiting for whereas the the Karen O'Brien stuff in this episode it really comes out of nowhere. I mean, we we have yeah, a, had a couple episodes where Kira has been getting sort of integrated into their lives. She's staying with them. You know, Molly's calling her yeah. Aunt Norris and all these kind of things. But she's more interesting when the O'Briens adopt her as a sister. Both than when she is possibly another wife for O'Brien. I mean, right. I think it would have been. You know, it's one thing if they're exploring these feelings, but. Don't leave. I I don't know if this is going to come up again. You know, if this is well, and I guess I mean it it doesn't. And I guess the problem with yeah. it is that you know I can kind of understand you know uh, Miles transferring some of his romantic yeah. feelings for for Keiko onto Norris because she is pregnant with his child yes. under very unusual circumstances. But I don't really get why why Kira would would feel that way towards him, and I also don't really understand. Why this and, and more fundamentally, I don't understand why we're supposed to find this interesting. I, I feel like there's a more interesting version of this episode where the two of them realize like they're they think it's a romantic you know, in a way they almost think it's a romantic and sexual situation, but you know, because of the intimacy between them, but you know, kind of figure out, you know, maybe a version where they do start kissing and then they realize actually this is kind of weird, but you know, at the same time, you know. I think a lot of it is there were I wanted to see a version of this also where they talk to Keiko about this like where yeah, Keiko's allowed yeah. to have an opinion on this because that's part we of the don't, problem too that's it. Yeah. we don't know if Keiko might be okay with well I'm not upset if the two of you you know manage to get very close you know she is bearing our child too and you know once the baby is born it's not like she's going to be out of our lives so yeah, you know, that that's... And it also doesn't, you know, it, 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 I think that's a good point because it also speaks to the way that the show has done wrong by Keiko. I mean, I think that there is, you know, there are some some criticisms of Keiko out there that are sort of like, well, she's just shrewish and she, you know, and all yeah. that, which I don't necessarily but... agree with. I think there's some elements of that, certainly, but the show also does... 
I think Deep Space Nine goes a lot further towards making Keiko a more yeah. interesting character than she was on TNG. Well, I'm you know, and and my problem with it really is that this episode kind of takes a step back from yeah, that yeah. and doesn't give her any agency. Doesn't give her. I mean, obvi- I mean, frankly, she she is made out to be kind of an idiot in this episode. Yeah, and I mean, I yeah, I would like that if she you know she comes off as naive when she's saying you know go off. I again, I would like a version her of it where it's like. Yeah, if you two need to spend a romantic weekend or we're still going to be married, you know, on Monday. So, you know, whatever, like where she would be kind of okay with that, you know, or I mean, because I mean, I'm thinking about the first episode in which, you know, Kira, it turns out that, you know, Kira has had the baby. Yeah. Keiko feels upset about it at first. She goes through a bunch of complex emotions, but at the end. She figures out a way, you know, she figures out kind of what's bothering her about it and a solution which, you know, maybe it's not 100% ideal, but the three of them are in this situation and this is the way we're all going to be happy about it. Like, Mm -hmm. and this is something that works. Again, you know, we aren't in a, a traditional situation right now. But that doesn't mean that this is a bad situation or something that we can't enjoy. Again, you know, this is, she figures out a way of, you know, expanding the family in order to save it in a way. Yeah, and I guess I guess that's really you know what it comes down to is that it it feels it, 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 that that plot line has not aged well. I think. Yeah. And I think that's the primary problem with it is that you know coming at it from from a twenty you know twenty years later, it does seem very retrograde. It seems very yeah. sort of like gross and and the the sexual politics of it and the the, the gender politics of it just seem very weird. And yeah. Also, frankly, it seems like a really weird misreading of of the relationship that is developing between yeah. Nerese and Miles. You know, and I'm very I'm, I'm using their first names very you know deliberately, yeah. deliberately there because, of course, they are having a very intimate relationship. But and, you know, again, I I I, I mean, it, it feels kind of, like you know Molly saying at the end, "Are you my aunt?" And you know, Miles and Keiko look at each other and are like, "Yeah," you know, and. Again, not that, in this episode. No, though. no, no. In the that yeah. that episode, you know, she is definitely a you know has a sister relationship. She's both of their sister in a way, you know. And but that's the role that she has in it. And while certainly people can switch roles in a you know surrogate family like this, at the same time, it seems like I really liked that version. And who thought it was a good idea to bring it here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What What do you? I mean. The other problem I have with the episode is is, is Odo because he's not mm. he's in it that one scene, um, but he's acting very weird. I actually wrote down in my notes I was like, is Odo drunk? Like what? Like what? Well, probably. Going? Like yeah, I was like, he seems like he's I don't know. I mean, I think that that Odo's going through some weird shit. Right yeah, now. I think that's what what the the subtext is there is that Odo is really just kind of like fucked up in the head right now, right? Is yeah. that what we're supposed to get from that? Oh scene? yeah, I mean like the the. You're talking about the, you know, what role is she saying? You know, the mother, the sister, the wife, you know, that bit like, yeah, like, and you have to understand that, you know, also Odo is again dealing with his feelings for Kira, even though that hasn't really been, you know, prominent in his plots in the past couple episodes. Sure, sure. Now that he has a physical body, a solid quote unquote body, um he's going to be reevaluating that in a different way. And so, so you know, he must be a, a bit even more rueful that, you know, oh, fu- you know, first of all, Kira is, you know, in love with the Vedic Burial and then Shakar and then fucking Mo Brian now. Like you can, I, I can, I wonder if that's a motivator for him. Uh, yeah, possibly. And I think that he is being a little, 
I don't Certainly, know. if it's not in the script, it's in the performance. Because it almost, yeah, his his attitude in that scene is is almost cruel. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very very uh, uh, weird, and and yeah. he, he comes across as as being kind of an asshole. I get this. Yeah, that scene he seems to be in some extreme pain. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. At the end of the day, I feel like this was a minor episode. It's yeah, it's just kind of there, and there's some serious problems with it, and I don't know that it was really justified. But, you know, I guess it was nice to see Grolka again. So Filler is filler. I wish there is... I, you know, I will say, though, that I, 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 I do like... We didn't talk about the scene where uh, the old guy, the old Klingon <laughs> guy, takes Worf aside and is basically like, listen, dude, like, yeah. you're not doing anything here. Don't get, you know, basically, you know, don't get any ideas. But, this, you know, this, this ain't happening. But I also uh, like his, like, your honor is fine, you know, and, and he, he lets him down very gently. He makes it very clear, like... We totally understand. It's fucking Grilka, sure. Yeah. But what I loved about that scene, by the way, is how he says, you know, have you ever pursued a Klingon woman? And Worf says no. And I'm thinking, what about the mother of your child? Well, she was only half Klingon, though. So. Oh, you're right. That doesn't count at all. No, it's just like more in like. He fucking forgot about that period of his life. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think that was very deliberate. I actually d- disagree with you. I think that uh. was a very deliberate choice on his part because you know Kaylair was half Klingon, what? and and she also, uh, uh, if you remember, she she basically rejected a lot of Klingon society and mores. Yes, yes. Um, you know that where where Worf in that one episode in TNG back in I think the second season where they had sex again and Worf was like, "Well, we have to get married now." Yeah, yeah, and she's yeah. like, "Yeah, no, that's not happening, dude. Like, just no." Like I think that that's why he says that because okay, that the old sense. the old man is basically you know asking have you ever pursued a real Klingon woman and the answer is no yeah assumedly a noble woman or you know somebody who has property and will head of yeah that's fair yeah now I mean of course you could argue that Worf has forgotten about the well I mean his son but it's the kind of thing where this is you know this is exhibit you know. Q of Worf forgot about the fact that he has a son in this series please don't say Q. Who? <laughs> All right, let's talk about Nor the Battle to the Strong. So this episode is weird for one reason. Um, I don't know if it's the only episode of Star Trek that has an internal monologue voiceover, but okay. I, I think it might be. Uh, that is definitely noticing, and obviously he's obviously that's the story that he's writing at the end of the you know thing that we're hearing. But yeah. This episode, in a lot of ways, reminded me of Lower Decks, actually, um, given that it's showing the lives of a bunch of people who are not really covered in th- in this kind of a series. I, I mean, can see that, yeah. You know, certainly this is focusing more on Jake, and, you know, we didn't have a major character. But at the same time, Jake is also a secondary character in DS9. He has his episodes, but he's not the main cast. He's not in every episode. And yeah. Sarek Lofton, Jake, does not appear in this episode as kind of a running joke on Memory Alpha at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's very much uh, a DS9 version of the Lower Decks episode in that, you know, I mean, both of them are very plot light episodes in the way they, again, they are just a day in the life of a bunch of people who, you know, aren't the elites of Starfleet but who are just kind of everyday grunts and what do they deal with and what what happens we've seen certainly plenty of times where you know the crew of the enterprise or the crew of DS9 deal with the medical emergency and you know they do their triage and they move on you know these are people who live there and who have very deep ties to this community and 
who deal with this kind of a situation in an extraordinarily different way. Yeah, it's, I don't know, I think it's a hard episode to talk about because there's a lot of different things going on here. I mean, it's a Jake episode yeah. first and foremost, and it is uh, uh, yeah. kind of, I guess, in some ways, the scales falling from his eyes. I mean, Jake, yeah. Jake is obvious, I mean, this is also an important episode, I think, because it it kind of um, bloodies and dirties the 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 universe a little bit yeah you know, we we don't really get to see in Star Trek before this the the sort of actual consequences of what a, a battle or a war looks like I mean obviously people die I mean red shirts dying yeah. is a joke you know in the fandom but this episode is really getting down into the muck and the dirt and and kind of showing you know what the wounds are looking like and what the people are actually doing and the sort of the terror and the horror of the situation yeah. i mean it it makes it it, it is arguing uh, you know from a from a place of of the reality of war in a way that Star Trek I don't think has really done before. Yeah. It's a very Deep Space Nine way to look at it, but it's also an important way for that. Well, one of the – I mean I think what makes this very much a Star Trek episode is that it does still end with the – it makes it clear what exactly courage is in this universe and, you know – Cisco saying at the end, you know, everybody would recognize, you know, these moments of terror as well as, you know, just kind of sure. sh- sheer luck or instinct or whatever. And, you know, much of the subtext is that, you know, winning a battle is as much luck and, you know, just shooting in the right places. It is actually, you know, being the brave because, you know, the we'll, we'll, well talk about all of this characters, I guess, in a bit. But, you know, that it ends with Jake smiling was not something I expected, but something yeah. which, you know, this episode needed to end with. Well, because Jake is an adult now. And, of course, Jake yeah. has to be sort of given into the universe a little bit. And he's, he's you know, his, the scales are falling from his eyes in a way. He's also acting as the audience surrogate yes. in, this, in this episode as well. And he is also learning that, you know, he has, you know the option of courage in him, you know, that obviously his father says he's proud of him, you know, at the end for learning this lesson, but getting a more sophisticated view of the world, but not leaving it cynically, I think is very important well, to this episode that, cause how many other shows would have the naive teenager character see battle and leave it being traumatized and scarred and cynical and devoid of all hope. Jake leaves this episode realizing that there was he, an episode of boy meets world like that. Yes. Uh, where he met, met the army, um, and, you know that Jake ends this episode f- with more respect for the people around him. Yeah, you know, knowing that things can be done, knowing that there will be violence and there will be fucked up stuff, but at the end of the day, the Federation is working to make it better. And- well, and I think I think that yeah, I agree with you, and I think that the key the key point of the episode is is that line where uh, uh, Jake is is kind of shocked and and confused by the fact that you know for example that that one character shot himself in the foot yeah um which you know that's that's a thing that happens and and yeah. soldiers do injure themselves to get out of battle and and he says he's very incredulous you know he has that line where he's like well the, these these start these are starfleet officers they've gone through yeah. hundreds of hours of battle simulations and you know bashir who is more seasoned at this point and and also you know in, a, in an interesting way it's bashir is kind of where jake was at the beginning of the show, if you know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, because Bashir at the very beginning of the show was naive and he was a Starfleet officer. He was trained, but he was a doctor. And so it was a little different. And also the expectation for him was, I'm going to go off into the frontier and I'm you know, and now, you know, four years later, he's been in battle situations many times. He's had to go into horrible situations and really work hard. 
Um, he has seen the, the the results of this, and I think he's very seasoned at this point. I think he knows what Jake is going through. Yeah, that very beginning scene is very interesting. Again, one of the very, I think it's the very first Bashir episode, you know, he says, you know, I want to go off and make a name for myself. And that version of Bashir, as cruel, as, you know, horrible as it is to say, would have loved an adventure like this because yeah. this is an opportunity to shine. Meanwhile, what is he rambling about? What is the proud thing, this incredibly arcane thing involving peptides and neurons that, you know, Jake can't even follow and... You know, I love that where he's like, oh, it was so heated. No, it wasn't that heated. Oh, they were couching it to worry about. But, you know, and it's like, you know, you know exactly the conference it was. It was a very dry academic conference. But Bashir is obviously finding it fascinating. And, you know, this is certainly not to diminish any of the work he did. No, no. It's not badass heroism. And frankly, when he hears the call for badass heroism, you know, Bashir doesn't want to go because he recognizes Jake is not, you know, a good person to take into the situation. And, you know, Jake's the one who convinces him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that, you know, that, that might be a, a, a bad decision on Bashir's part, but well, part of the episode is him wondering if, you know, he kind of regretting that decision for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to spend a couple minutes kind of, um, I guess, a- a- analyzing the, the kind of, I think the real, central point of the episode or the moral of the episode if the episode has one which is this sort of the idea you know that's encapsulated by the last line of uh jake's story that he writes about this that the line between you know courage and cowardice is, is yes. much thinner than people think it is and and you know cisco obviously is is recognizing that as well because he's someone who has been in battle many times he's seasoned he knows yeah. this and i i like this because i think that in general this is something that maybe isn't that well understood. You know, there's there's been a lot of studies that have come out that have really shown that, you know, th- people make decisions in a split second that they really, they don't have a conscious, yeah. they're not conscious decisions to do these things. You know, the guy who shot himself in the foot it's not that he's a coward. It's, he's not. He just he he, he has he, a panic attack. He and reacted he makes a bad in the decision. decision. Well, he didn't even make a decision. Well, yeah, that's, that's really fair. the point. Is you know, I, I remember you know, I remember this time where I was taking the the subway years ago, and and it was in the morning, and um, it was a crowded train, and these two women got on, and they just you know, out of out of nowhere, they started swinging at each other, and um, I, I grabbed one of them. You know, and, I, and someone grabbed the other yeah. one, and I just pulled her away. And I did not make a decision to do that. It was not a a decision at all. I just reacted in that moment. And I think that that's really what yeah. the point is: is that people react. And the the thing about courage and cowardice is not it's not a moral failing not to act. It's yeah. just how you're hardwired. Yeah, and it's not necessarily a good thing to be like that either, because no, I, you can get really hurt. Well, like, I know I, my. I, I could have gotten stabbed if you know. Like, I know my instinct when I see a situation like this is I'm I'm a mile away in the next five minutes. Like I I hightail out of bad situations. And, yeah, and I'm not I'm not saying that that my uh, no uh, I uh, you know my reaction was was good. I mean I you know I I am the type of person that goes into a burning building you're the type that doesn't i don't think that says anything about our moral failings or anything like that it's just the way that you know the the way that people are hardwired i mean that's what the episode is trying to say yeah i like at the very end of the episode i mean you know jake is considered a hero because he manages to seal the exit but very specifically he's not even looking you get this he just has a rifle and he's just kind of squeezing it off he's yeah firing blindly you get this i mean if you if 
if you had asked him at the moment, what are you doing? He would say, oh, I'm trying to hit them. You know, he was probably trying to, if, if there was anything resembling conscious thought, it was to attack them. And he just happened to get a lucky shot, yeah. which brought the whole house down. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think his father knows that, you know. I, I, yeah. But at the same time, that doesn't change the meaning of what he did. You know, I. Well, this is something that I think, you know, the episode is really trying to grapple with in, in general, which is it's trying to make the reality of war uh, more real. And yeah. Sort of, you know, it, it's it, the war with the Klingons has been sort of. Yeah. I mean, I like abstract in the past season and we are really used to Star Trek. Not we we've never really seen this type of ground yeah. battle in Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this is something we've this never is... seen a grunt like that guy who shot himself in the foot. I don't think. No, um, no. Even the red shirts on the Enterprise were more, and that's the thing. We have only really hung out with elites throughout this franchise. Now the peop- the main cast of DS Nine is a different form of elite than the main cast of Next Generation, for example. But you know. We, we we could say Picard and his crew are a little more uh, publicly elite. You know, sure, they, they're, they're sure. the flagship. You know, people like Kira is are you know just as combat. You know, and and Cisco just as combat hardened, but they're a little more on the front lines. But um, either way, like he is dealing with some of the best of the best. Maybe he's dealing with the top ten percent of Starfleet is what Jake has seen at this point in my in his life. West maybe saw the top five percent and. You know, now he's seeing some of the the lower people. I mean, I think it's really interesting to see his attitude towards the soldier who shoot, shoots himself because at first he's horrified. Later, after he's seen some more and he has the conversation where he's saying, oh, well, I'll go into a mine. Like, that's the only thing. And Not it, even that, after he runs from the shelling. Yeah. I mean, that is the, oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Is, that is the under- point where he really understands that sometimes he can be, you know, he at, at that point, he understands, you know, the, the soldier's decision to just want to be the hell away from that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and what Jake says is, well, it's the Federation, you know, aren't maybe you won't be court-martialed. Maybe you'll go for counseling, you know. And it reminds me of how many people in the next generation Date, you know, for example, how many episodes did Data get mind controlled? Right. So, you know, obviously Picard becomes the cutest of the Borg. He is going to, once he is fixed, you know, Troy is going to counsel, you know, the best counselor in the Federation is going to counsel him down. You know, this guy is not going to get that treatment. This, I don't know. I don't I, know that I, I agree with that interpretation of it. I mean, I, you know, I. I don't know. Well, you know, it, it, he certainly doesn't seem to think so. And, you know, I think it's Jake's line is ambiguous enough to it's not really, you know, he Jake doesn't really know what's going to happen to the military, what they're going to decide to do with. This I mean, guy. the guy can get court martialed and still get counseling. Of course. I mean, and I think that that's more the implication of what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. It's not like they're going to completely, you know, you know, dishonorable discharge, and the next thing he's at the transit center, you know, on crack. No, that's not what's happening <laughs> to him, but... Um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this is still a Star Trek series, and this yeah. is still an optimistic take on the future. Um, and I think that that it is... It is a little weird, because 
there is, uh, I guess, a, 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 an undercurrent of this, which is trying to examine and 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 kind of bloody the Star, Starfleet and Federation a little bit while still maintaining the the reality of the situation or the, the yeah. sort of uh, you know the, the 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 optimistic take on the future that that Star Trek is and. Yeah, I think that that's really uh, the tension that's at the heart of the episode is is what is going to happen to these people. Mm. And, you know, Agilon Prime is a sort of a backwater you know, yeah. colony that the Federation sort of doesn't care about that much. Um, yeah, but it's very th- clear. This is going to be a bizarre footnote battle that only scholars of history are going to know about. Right. It doesn't matter. But, of course, it matters to the people that are in it very much. And... Yeah, these people love Agilon Prime as much as they do Earth in, you know, Paradise Lost and, and uh, you know. It, and I think also to, you know, to a certain degree, I think this episode is a little bit of a meta commentary on, uh, you know, the viewers of Star Trek as well in a way. Because, of course, we really enjoy the space battles and we're like, yeah, let's do it, you know. Oh, yeah, but, I think I said like DS9 have some of the best space battles we've seen in the franchise. Right, but you pay for it. And that's that. What yeah. I and that I think you're starting to see that. I mean, this is really the first time that we have seen this type of of, of episode on Star Trek, and you know, yeah. the show does this more. I mean, it, it's, it, yeah, it, 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 it's going down a very interesting path at this point. I think, and and you know, I don't want to spoil anything for the future, but it's sort of like a stay tuned moment yeah. because this is, you know, this is the vegetables for you know, sort of the the joy of watching like you know, the Dias cast or something, yeah. for example, or just have or, or you know, the way of the warrior with a big space battle you know which yeah, seems yeah, very yeah. abstract and it seems very unreal it, it, you know people get hurt but it's all very academic it's very bloodless we don't see people getting hurt and then we sort of you know now star yeah. trek deep space nine is starting to make the audience have to pay for that a little bit with episodes like this well one of the things i remember about tng is a few times we would see federation doctors wearing like red the one where picard has his heart surgery you know the surgeon is wearing red, you know, and that's obviously, you know, not to wear. But there was a very specific moment of, you know, the guy grabs onto Jake and he has a bloodstained shirt, you know, like that. That's not mm-hmm. in- coincidental. That's a very deliberate choice. And, yeah, yeah. You know, again, we've, you know, we'll talk. We talk every so often about to what degree that the Federation is, you know, that Starfleet is a military organization. But again, you know. The guy who dies, you know, with trying to look at the sky, he is a military man, you know, through and through. He is unambiguously yeah. so. Um, we see that, yeah, you know, and, and we have posited that, yes, there is a purely military branch of Starfleet, and but we've never hung out with them, and this is the first time we're spending significant amount of time with them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, their lives are as just as hard as real military people's are. Yeah. I mean, in a way, you know, this is a, it's, it's a very sort of standard trope in, in a lot of stuff. I mean, this is a very standard journey for Jake to go through. You know, a lot of the gallows humor of the doctors and nurses, yeah. of course, is very, you know, I mean, we all know that kind of thing. Um, but but this is, you know, it, it, it doesn't impact, it doesn't detract from the impact that the episode does yeah. have because... Jake again is is kind of the the surrogate character for us, and you know we are uh, he's reacting to the the what he views as the sort of um, I guess he thinks they're being disrespectful or something. But you know, well, he thinks that they. It's interesting because, but he, that's how they have to get through it. I well, mean, that's, that's it. You know, after a while, you he he's he's gone from you know not really you know either not really thinking about battle or thinking of battle as abstract glory or just you know people do die in battle and it's sad you know and then he's seeing it and he has no defenses up and all of this is really again you know 
Bashir makes that, all right, I'm going to make a decision into the chicken, you know, which is a very doctory thing to do. And suddenly, you know, Jake remembers all the blood he's seen, you know. Yeah, and he goes to throw up, yeah. Most of the other characters recognize that, you know, where Jake is, and they had the same first day, but... Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing, too. I mean, you know, this, I mean, we've all seen ER and stuff. <laughs> like, doctors do have gallows humor for a reason. Nurses have gallows humor for a reason. I mean, uh, and then, but also it's funny because Bashir hasn't really had that kind of attitude before. But I think this is also an interesting kind of development for Bashir because he is being shown as a doctor. You know, we are seeing the culture of, uh, you know, an ER in this episode in some yes. way. And the, the culture of, of doctors and nurses and, and what it means to be on the front lines of a battle and how you get through it. And there is also a degree to which, frankly, Bashir is not in this kind of... Bashir full knows that most of the people around him on DS9 are not going to be okay with this kind of humor. He's among a very different kind of people. Even you know, The joke that he makes isn't as, as disturbing as some of the other jokes in this episode, but frankly, he's in a different situation. They'll get the humor more than, yeah. frankly, Cisco would, for example. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the other thing I think that's interesting about this episode is it doesn't leave uh, Agilon Prime that often. I mean, it is very, but it does. And yeah. you know, we see the Defiant, we see Cisco and the on the uh, and the crew in ops talking about how the Rutledge is going to go and rescue them. And then, of course, it gets blown up by the Klingons, and they have to go. And you know, Cisco makes a split second decision to go off and, and and rescue them, which of course is the right decision. But one of the scenes that feels a little bad out of place, but I think is actually really key to what the episode's uh, theme or point is. You have that scene where uh, Cisco and Odo are talking and, and, and Odo is, um, mm. he got hurt because he, he jumped off some stairs because he was trying to catch some criminals. And Cisco is making a point about that. And then of course he finds out that the ship was, was the Rutledge was destroyed and he has to go off. And, and that's how that scene ends. But what I think is really interesting about that is it is another way for the show to link thematically back to the idea that um, these are not decisions. You know, these are sort of uh, people have instincts and Odo has instincts that were formed by being a changeling and him jumping off the stairs and making this decision and not even a decision. He didn't make a decision. You know, he is just reacting in the moment in the way that he felt was most appropriate. And he got hurt. Well, yeah, they have that conversation of oh, humanoid bodies are so fragile, and from obviously the experience of pain, Odo is going to be a lot more careful from now on. It's him having his moment of realizing he's not invincible, because Odo always knew he wasn't invincible, but he was pretty damn close. Yeah. Jake goes from at the beginning, oh, adventure, nothing bad's going to happen, I'll figure it out, it'll be fun, to realizing that, I mean, this is one of those realizations that every person goes to they think they're a teen you, you're a teenager you think you're never going to get really hurt you right, know? right i'm never going to get cancer i'm never going to get hit by a car i'm never going to you know have a heart attack or whatever and then as you get older realizing that which is really all about dying yeah realizing that no i am going to die and it's you know, the the conversation where they're talking about, oh, do we do you want a Batleth or do you want a Disruptor? And they're, oh, Disruptor, you vaporize instantly. No, a Batleth, you know, you could see your head. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they have – these people have gotten to the point where they may not want to die. They may not be ready to die, but they understand that their death is something that is going to happen to them. 
And yes, they, they, they're they joking in a way to stave off the horror, sure, but at the same sure. time, they're not in denial of the horror, and they live and with... And Jake is. Yes, Jake is in denial of the horror, and he doesn't... At that point, he's so upset with them because he doesn't even understand how he can deal with... He finds this idea of death at this point so horrifying yeah. that how could anybody accept it? And that's why I think it's such an interesting choice for it to be Jake as well, because you know we 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 don't talk about yeah. Jake that much. I mean, he's in the show obviously, and he's a, he's a main cast member, but he's not in, in every episode or even most episodes. But um, I think this episode works to some degree because Jake is kind of a blank slate. I mean, yeah. he, he does have a personality, he does have a character, he has gone through some stuff, but at the same time, I think the show is using an opportunity and taking advantage of the fact that Jake is now 18 yeah. and how you kind of go through some changes when you get to be that age and you start to age into being an adult. Uh, uh, the show is obviously taking advantage of that. Yeah. And I think it's interesting how they do have a, Jake is both seeing this, but we also, it's also made very clear that Jake is not in a way this kind of makes it, it's very interesting thinking of this in the light of the visitor in which Jake was mm. just alone and spiraled off into because Cisco immediately you know daddy's going to take care of him and dad does get him out at the end of this episode Jake does have a lot of privileges being the son of the commander of DS9 I mean when he's saying I've never felt this dangerous you know on the station, number one, he does still have that child. Like, well, my dad's there. Nothing bad ha- can happen while my dad is there. But at the same time, to a degree, he is a lot safer on DS9 because Cisco is very good at his job. The people around him are very good at the job. And they're able to get... And also at- DS9 is the, the, the main setting for a TV show and Agilent Prime is in. It's, it's, not, it's not going to be any severe danger until late in the seventh season, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, yeah, I think it's a good episode. I mean, it, it, it again, it's, it's a really smart episode for, I think, what it does. And I think at the end of the day, too, it's really smart that the show i don't know it's weird because like the 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 season started off with the idea that the the peace talks were starting with the klingons again and then of course we get this episode but in a way it works because at the very end of the episode they say oh the ceasefire's back we're good now i like how that makes things almost worse that this was such an arbitrary thing because all of these people died for something that wasn't even a real battle that anybody cared about it was just a a skirmish frankly yeah and i like it, it goes very much i mean there are a bunch of Heart of Glory type Klingons who still want war with the Federation to happen. As uh, Gowron made it clear, we, peace is not. We will certainly work on peace, and they yeah. are talking about that in the previous episode. Grilka's presence makes it seem like that week everything was okay. I mean, it, it makes it so much more chaotic to know from week to week there are problems. Yeah, yeah. And I also, you know, we didn't talk about the scene between Dax and, and Cisco. And and I do, mm. you know, I don't know that there's a lot to say about it, but I just want to mention it because it's another nice moment where I think the show has done a lot of groundwork in building that relationship. Yeah. And also building the, the, the two characters in, in very different ways. And frankly, and, da- I mean, Dax has just as much of a connection to Jake. Sure. And she sure. has known him through two existences. Yeah. And also that, you know, she is very close to her, his father. 
And she also is coming at this from a perspective of, you know, having previous hosts that have yeah. had children. And so she's telling this story about how the child was hurt or, or, or sick or something like that. And, and, and of course she comes through, but you know, it's nice because it, 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 again, it undercurrents the, the kind of theme of the episode, but it also acts as a nice kind of release valve of tension for, for the episode, because it's this nice little moment yeah. of bonding and of humor in the episode that. You know, an episode like this needs those kind of moments. What I thought was very interesting, I mean, we're talking about on the ship, she's making, you know, again, making some dark jokes to deal with the stress, and it begins to be too much. But there was a one line when, you know, Cisco very worried, says, you know, Dax, you know, uh, Jake is on there, and Dax's line is, well, you're not going to have much time to snoop through his, through his room then, you know, and that's her making a joke but that's the exact thing she needs to do to to make him not worry you know exactly um yeah i thought it was funny these two episodes have this kind of running theme obviously the season is running with this but these two episodes have these moments where they're trying to figure out cures for all of uh kira's pregnancy symptoms so you have uh bashir in the previous episode trying to find something that will help her sneezing and now Quark's trying to make decaf ractagino. They both have a very similar line because Bashir says, well, Bajoran women have been sneezing through pregnancies for centuries. I'm not going to solve it overnight. I love Quark's, you know, bartenders have been working to try and remove caffeine. I can't do that, which, you know, is totally a bartender problem. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that everybody is just trying to, again, you talk about comedic moments. I think that's something that works, that everybody is just trying to, to you know, number one, Lightly teasing her when they count this, you know, they're counting her sneezes and betting on that. But it's it's that part of the pregnancy I like that they're all just joking with somebody they're fond of and they're really happy and excited yeah. about this. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to have, for her to have this damn baby, though. It happens pretty soon. I, I, I was going to say it, it can't be. It'll be by the halfway point. I'm going to assume they can't stretch it out the full season. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what episode it happens in, but it's it, it happens fairly fairly soon after this, I believe. Again, he mentioned five. I mean, months. and that visitor is pretty pregnant. At this point, yeah, so, uh, yeah, Bashir mentioned five months, which obviously, you know, most likely she was four months along when they. Uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, actress yeah. was when they made that decision, but. It's soon, so I'm excited. Yeah. All right. Well, if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of Deep Space Nine we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow, where you can give us some monetary support for our podcasting endeavors if you would like. And uh, you can check out our um, June patron special, which was about the novel Federation by Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens. Our social media username is Show, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review. We have a new one. Mm. This is from Bwall1701, who says, These guys are a blast. I stumbled across the podcast one day and haven't stopped listening since. Oh, my God. Five stars, gentlemen. <gasps> so thank you very much, Bwall1701. And uh, if you would like to have your review read on the air, you have to leave this one. So do that. Thank you. Next week is a big week, Richard. Oh, my God. Does she have the baby? No. Uh, But we are reaching both an important milestone for Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek, and Trek about all in the same week. And I did not plan this. Am I going to have a baby? Yes. I thought I felt a little full. It is episode 200 of Trek about. What? 
What? Which means that we have been doing this show for almost four years. What? Yeah. We're not going to make a big deal about it, but just wanted to mention it because we don't really mention numbers on the show, but that's kind of a big one. If you'd like to send us a cake, please do so. Yeah, don't give my address out on the air. Trekaboutshow at trekaboutshow.com. Sure. Yeah, that works. Uh, And it's also the 30th anniversary week for Star Trek because these episodes came out in 1996. That was the 30th anniversary of Star Trek. And so uh, both shows that were on the air at the time, Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Star Trek Voyager, did special 30th anniversary episodes. Oh, my God. And the Deep Space Nine one is... Fan fucking tastic! Yay! So we're going to be and talk- the Voyager one is even better. Uh, sure, I'll say yes to that. But I we'll mean- find out about that in a couple of years. Um, we're going to be talking about the episodes, the assignment, which is not as boring as it sounds. <laughs> Five hundred <laughs> words on 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 warp. And then we're going to be talking about the episode trials and tribulations. What? What could that be about? Is she having? baby she has tribbles (laughs) triblets we'll see you then